You're listening to the weekly podcast with Pastor Steve McCoy from 360 Church in Sarasota, Florida. We hope this message inspires you to press beyond ordinary. We continue this conversation. We've been in for quite a while here. How then should we live? If you're coming in here on the seventh inning, let me kind of bring you up to snuff. We are talking about how we should live in light of the reality, not the hope, but the reality of Jesus coming back. We're told in the Bible that the first coming of Jesus, there were many, many prophets, uh, prophecies and predictions. They all came true. And as I've mentioned almost every week, there are as many or more prophecies about Jesus's second coming with as many great details. So we count that as followers of Christ as a certain we don't. This is not something that we hope will happen. We know it will happen. And even as you see things in our culture unfolding, we are right on schedule. People get nervous about things that are happening in our culture anymore. And I'm like, hey, we're right on schedule. If these things don't happen, then we're that means we're further away from the coming of Christ. And so since they are happening and they're happening at a, happening at a greater pace, we know that the, the runway is getting shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. How then should we live? That's the question that we're asking. So today I uh, wanted to throw up a bumper sticker. And I don't know if you've ever seen this bumper sticker before. Jesus is coming. Look busy. I kind of don't like it, if I were honest with you, because shouldn't it read, Jesus is coming, be busy. I mean, don't just look busy. You don't want to just like, oh, the boss is coming down to my cubicle, all of a sudden start typing something. I did work with a guy uh, many years ago. He was a worship pastor, and, and uh, I'm always kind of freaked out by clean des- desks, you know, because they, uh, you know, they're either the person's just like super neat, which drives me crazy because I'm not. Or, I mean, I love people that uh, have neat desks. Sorry, I saw someone there who was a super neat desk. Or it means they're doing nothing. So I would walk in this guy's office, and how did I know he wasn't doing that? His, his desk was immaculate. And I'd walk in, and I'd knock on the door, and I heard this, oh, come in, come in, kind of like a rusty kind of voice. Oh, come in. And he would always have a crease on his forehead <laughs> because his head's on the desk. It's like this. And then, like, knock, 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 oh, come in, come in. You don't want to be like that when Jesus comes back. That's all I'm saying, right? And so it reminds me that in Romans chapter 14, written to Christ followers, okay, it's important when you're reading the Bible, who's this written to? Is it written to the nation of Israel? Is it written to Christians? Is this addressing people who have yet to believe in Christ? This is written to Christians. And Romans chapter 14, verse 12 says, each of us, that's even more specific than everybody, every individual Christ follower will give an account of himself to God. Now, if you read that out of context, it could be scary. What do I mean by that? Somebody in the room and somebody at home may be having a big uh-oh moment. Like, well, wait a minute. I thought that now I'm a Christian. I thought my sins were forgiven. And I'm going to stand before and give an account. Not talking about that at all. You see, as Christ followers, the beauty of the power of Christ is that his forgiveness is eternal. That means after we've said, I'm going to trust in Christ, then it's no longer, I better be good so I get on the nice list and not the naughty list. 
I have the security in Christ that allows me to live every day knowing that I'm imperfect and yet God's love and security does not change. Otherwise, every day of your life, you'd be like, man, I hope I got it good enough today. I hope I don't die today because I had a pretty bad day. I hope nothing, I don't get hit by a truck because, you know, uh, because of yesterday. You know, who want, who, which parent wants their child to live like that? And so we say, no, we have this security. What is he talking about a giving account? What he's saying is that we are going to say, how did you run the race? How, what did you do with what I gave you to do? Not about sin or eternal secure, or eternal destination or any of that. What did you, I put something in your hand. What did you do? I want to, to see what you did. And it's not to slap our wrist. He is our champion, our cheerleader, because as we're going to see, what we do on earth is just a warm up of what's going to be in eternity. So it's important. Jesus tells a lot of parables about this. I don't know if you've heard the story of the, um, of the four people, everybody, somebody, anybody, nobody. Have you ever heard that story? You know, so a, a big task, a big assignment was given. Everybody was given the assignment. But everybody thought somebody was going to do it. And because anybody could do it, but nobody ended up doing it. Have you heard that? You've probably experienced it, right? Well, somebody got angry because everybody was supposed to do it. And everybody thought, well, somebody is going to do it because anybody can do it. But they didn't realize that actually nobody was going to do it. And then what happened was that everybody got angry at somebody because anybody could have done what nobody did. You get it? Are you following it? So Jesus tells this story and he says, look, I'm going to call. 10 people to myself, and I'm giving to give everybody an assignment. And not just somebody, but I'm going to give everybody assignment. That's where we land today. Luke chapter 19 and verse 11. And the re reason we're reading this today and absorbing this today is because it has to do with how then should we live. Here we go. Verse 11 of Luke 19. While they were listening to this, let me pause, Zacchaeus had just come to Christ. He had just uh, experienced salvation. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell a parable, Jesus did, because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Actually, they wanted it to appear. Human beings like shortcuts. Have you ever noticed? It wasn't time. Jesus said this story, began this story, a man of noble birth, speaking of himself, went to a distant country, that was heaven, and to have himself appointed king, which he was, and then return. So he's coming back. This is a story. Jesus is saying, I'm coming back. How then should we live? So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minas. <clears throat> Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. So you kind of see the framing of it, right? Now, a mina, you might think, sounds kind of like the word minor. It might sound like, what was that, a little coin or something? A mina was actually worth about three to four months' salary, okay? So whatever your salary is, multiply it times four, a sizable investment, right? So if someone walked up to you uh, this morning and said, uh, hey, you know, wh what do you make? You know, what's your salary in a month? Most likely you're not going to tell them. But if they wrote you a check for four months salary, 
my guess, it's going to be followed by a hug and a thank you, and you're now on my Christmas card list, right? This was a, this was a, uh, you know, an investment uh, that was recognizable, noticeable. It was like, wow, thank you for that amazing gift. So we're going to look at this from this same passage. We're going to wrap back around and look at it with some principles that I hope will be super practical because I think they're simple. Here we go. We're going to come back to Luke 19, verse 13. I want you to notice the third word. The third word is the word called. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them the 10 minus, put this money to work until I come back. I want you to notice that these people were already his servants. When we come to Christ, we're Christ followers. We are servants of the Lord. Everybody agree? So, in other words, the relationship was already established. So he called 10 of his followers who already had a relationship with him. That's us. And now he said, I'm calling you. Okay? Here's the, here's the first um, principle I want us to, to absorb today. The first principle, you'll see it on the screen. Jesus doesn't just save us. He calls us. Okay? Why is that simple little statement so important? Here it is. It's really important because appropriately, we sing a lot about our salvation, that we're thankful for it, right? Because it is a great salvation. So we sing about it. We pray about it. We thank God about it. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for Jesus. He's wonderful, which he is. The cross is wonderful, which it is. All of these things. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And the direction could be, could land up being, it's towards me. Everything is towards me. Picture this. When Jesus came to earth, if you're here this morning, and you're like, what is this whole Christianity about? I know Jesus died. He was on a cross. I know that's, you know, that, that's the historic thing that happened. He came back from the dead. But it's a bit deeper than that. And it's much more practical than that. It's supernatural. It's spiritual. It's all these things. But the practicality is this. That human beings, if you picture us, if you picture yourself in the Pacific Ocean, about 300 miles from the coast... You have no life preserver. You've just fell out of a helicopter. I don't know why you fell out of a helicopter, but you did. All right, just play along. You're in the Pacific Ocean and you're bobbing up and down. The water is cold. You have no life preserver. You have no life raft. You have nothing but the clothes on your back and you're bobbing up and down. What is the likelihood that you're going to be able to rescue yourself? Somewhere between zero and nano zero, right? There is no opportunity for you to save yourself. When it comes to our spiritual lives, we often think that we can create our own life preserver out of nothing. It's called religion. It's called good behavior. If I'm good enough, if I'm not as bad as Hitler, then I've got a shot at this and I can have a, I can have a relationship with God. And the Bible says, here's the paradox. You can't do it. You're bobbing in a state of helplessness. And that is why the good news is like super good news that Jesus recognizes it. And he said, you can't save yourself. So I'm going to do 
for you what you can't do yourself. I'm going to die on a cross in your place so that you can come to me and say, I'm not bringing my religion. I'm not bringing my good behavior. I'm bringing my broken self and I'm going to transfer my trust in any of that stuff 100% on you. And God says, let me give you a hand. Let me help you out of that situation you can't help yourself out of. That's great news, right? But there's always a problem. <laughs> if we're not careful, we'll just revel in the, in the, uh, the uh, what do they call those rings? Uh, life preserver? No, it's not life preserver. You don't know any more than I do. No wonder I'm up here. I must be an expert on that life-saving. Well, they throw that thing out there, the lifeline, you know, with a round ring on the end of it, whatever the heck that's called. What? Life preserver. Come on up here. You take my place. It throws a life preserver. And if we're not careful, we'll turn the life preserver into an intertube in which we just float on the rest of our life. And revel, I've been saved. I've been saved. This is amazing. Nothing wrong with reveling in our salvation. But on the end of a life preserver is a rope. And that person is pulling. This is what Jesus is doing. He's calling his rescued servants and he's calling them. We're not saved just to float on the life preserver. We're saved to be called of Jesus, we're saved and we're called to do something, to be productive for Christ. Does that make sense? Because we celebrate it so much, which is awesome, I just don't want us to stay floating on the life preserver and recognize that Jesus is calling us. Watch. I love this. This capsulates it. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. God has saved us and called us. To a holy life. Okay, before you go, uh-oh. Because you may look in the mirror and like, I'm not holy. You actually are holy. From a sin point of view, God sees you as holy. But holy doesn't always mean you got your act together. Holy means distinctive. Different. So God has saved you and called you. So that's the reminder here. And the simple thing is don't leave that 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 off. I've saved you and I've called you to a distinctive life. Watch what he says. Not because of anything we've done, bobbing in the ocean, couldn't do it on our own, but because of his own purpose and grace. I saved you for a purpose. I called you for a purpose. And I'm drawing you for a purpose. Does it make sense? I know I'm beating a dead horse. But some horses are meant to be beat. Dead horses. No, sorry. Save your emails for those of you who love horses. I get it. I mean, if we were beating a dead cat, that'd be all right. No, I'm just playing. All the cat lovers. <laughs> Here come the emails. That's what I'm talking about. You know, sometimes I think that um, I, I, the reason I'm emphasizing this before moving on is that as we progress in time, I am hearing us as Christians talk more about God working to me to fulfill the dreams of my life. I hear Jeremiah, that quote in Jeremiah a lot, you know, I have dreams and it's out of context. 
God is not here for our dreams and our purposes. We have been called for his purposes. And that's a big difference. It's just a directional change. Does that make sense? It's a directional change. Romans chapter 28. Uh, sorry, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good. We sometimes put a period there. But it goes on to say, of those who love him, who have been called according to whose purposes? His purposes. So the next bad thing that might happen in your life, say, you know what? God is going to get purpose out of this. It may not be aligned with my purposes or my dreams or my ambitions, but it's going to be uh, it's going to be uh, according to his. Here's the next thing I want to say to us today. Our efforts in life should be focused on the specific assignment that God gives to us. So I recognize that in life, if you're a parent, if you're a homeowner, if you're an employee, if you're an employer, if you're a business owner, whatever you do, you've got responsibilities that are going to require your effort. That's part of life. I walked out of my house this morning. I could barely get the front door key out of the, the, the lock. Something's wrong with it. I'm like, well, there's a, something I got to fix. And then I notice you got to pull on the door in order for the thing to turn. I'm like, well, there's another thing for my wife to fix. I'm sorry. I mean, for me to fix. And then I'm like, I hope our roof's not leaking with that downpour yesterday because I saw a little spot on the ceiling. I'm like, oh, no. I mean, and life just just doesn't stop, does it? And then, you you know, about that time, you're two-year-old or you're 18-year-old. I was going to say same difference, but I'll give them a break. But, you know, your, your child says, oh, I've got to do this. I need this. Blah, blah, blah. And just life has a way of magnetizing our efforts of saying this is your primary effort. Make sure you live your entire life that you're number one dad or number one mom. And that's your primary. And Jesus, when he called these servants, don't you think they had families? Don't you think they had places to live? <laughs> don't you think you, man, I love that. Don't you think that you have, they had responsibilities. But Jesus said, of all the responsibilities, don't lose the primary thing that you are here for eternal purposes. And I just find in my life that, man, I just have to recalibrate that almost every day. I'm not just here to be a good dad. I should be a good dad. But if that is my primary uh, effort, I think I'm missing the call. Does that make sense? Each one in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, each one should use whatever gift he has Received to serve others faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Here's the thing. I believe that everybody has been given something that, that anybody can do. In other words, you can be a disciple maker. You can be a disciple. You can be in close community in a group. You can give back to God what God has given to you. I, I would venture to say that that. Almost everybody, if not everybody in this room, can, can give back to God. I, everybody in the room can say, hey, I want to I be involved in disciple making. Everybody in the room can learn to, and, and grow to love one another, to bear one another, forgive one another. These are things that, that God would say, that's for everybody because anybody can do it, right? It's not just for somebody. 
And then, in addition to that, God gives you special things. Things that maybe you maybe you have the gift of mercy. Maybe you have the gift of uh, teaching. Maybe you have the gift. Whatever that thing is, then God says, don't allow life to rob from you the things that I've called you to do. Over time, I can't tell you how many people that have said to me, I don't have time to disciple. I don't have time to 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 get in a group. I don't have time. And God would say, ah, just recalibrate that a little bit to make sure that your efforts on the assignments are on the assignments that God gives to you. Right. Here's the final thing. Jesus puts a timeline on it and he says, I want you to put this money to work until I come back. I want you. How then should we live? I want you to be at work until I come back. Here's the statement. Jesus' assignments, the assignments he gives, your assignments are permanent. They're permanent. Okay? Let me step on a few toes if I haven't already. Jesus does not ask you to serve him until you own your first home or until you have your first child or until your kid gets in high school or until you get that job, or until you get a second job. In other words, we can be sporadic at times depending on what's, t- what's going on in our life. But sometimes in the most difficult times when we can't see opportunity to serve, that's exactly when we give God the most glory. You see, there have been too many times where I've known a couple, young couple, And then they get married and that's it. I don't see them for a while. Or there's a couple and they have a baby. They have their first child. It's tough. It is tough to have a child. It's consuming. It's physically consuming. It's time consuming. It's everything consuming. It's emotionally consuming. And yet, God still calls us to keep it going. Keep this work going until I come back. Not until I get the house, I get the job, I get the the child. Does that make sense? And I think for us as Christ followers, man, we need that because we're we're kind of we can say, well, somebody's gonna do it. Somebody can do the thing that anybody can do, and so everybody realizes nobody does it, right? So we have to say, hey, we have to make sure that we're in that loop. And and so sometimes, are you ready? It's a blessing. That interrupts our serving. I have a friend in another city. He said, God bless me with another with a boat. So I can't go to church anymore. I'm like, <laughs> uh, wait a minute. <laughs> it is. Sometimes we get blessed so much that it takes us away from the permanency. Now, when you when you look at Jesus and he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And which is such a valuable prayer. He begins his prayer in John 17. And in verse 4, he says this. Father, I have brought you glory on earth. Our paramount reason for being alive. How did you do that, Jesus? By completing the work on earth that you gave me to do. Now, what's fascinating about this is that Jesus, when he's praying this, has not gone to the cross yet. When he said, it is finished. So he's praying in the garden. He says, I've completed the work that you gave me to do while I was on earth. Well, kind of, because now you're going to go to the cross. And then he's going to say, it is finished. Well, kind of, 
because you got to come back from the dead. And he comes back from the dead. And the work must be finished. Well, kind of, because he's got he's to go to heaven. And then I look at his life, and it says he sit, he's sitting on the right hand of the Father. I'm like, well, finally, Jesus got a break. He got to sit down. He must be finished. Well, kind of, because the Bible says he's praying for us right now, that he's interceding for us. So here's the thing. Permanent, sometimes we think only from a, an earthly point of view. Permanent is only permanent when you think about eternity, because eternity is the only permanent thing there is. Are you following? Everybody? Somebody? Anybody? Nobody. Someone. Get... <laughs> right? So watch this. Jesus in this story is saying, I'm measuring, I'm evaluating. We started with this. To give accountability of what you did on earth. Are you ready? Because it is your resume for permanency in heaven. Now that is exciting. That, never mind. <laughs> what? It doesn't die with me? No, it doesn't die with you. Watch what happens. One came back. He said, hey, look what I've done with your investment. Everybody's excited. Guys and servants excited. Jesus excited. And Jesus says, well done, my good servant. He said, because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter, I must stop there. You're going to think it's small? You're going to think it's small? You see, I think we're going to see G Billy Graham stand before Jesus, and Jesus might say, thanks for the very small thing you did. And we're going to be like, what? That was small? Yeah, it's only small because you haven't seen how big the permanent thing's going to be. You know what I mean? These shoes seem big, but maybe I got bigger shoes in heaven, you know? So I'm thinking they're only big from an earthly point of view. And so whatever he did, thanks for being a small part while on earth, take charge of something really big. That's cool. You see, that's the permanent part. And the cool thing about heaven, take charge of 10 cities. You'll never be fired. You'll never be fired. You see how that goes? We're writing our resume right now. And God is not waiting to slap your hands. Jesus is the champion behind you because, watch, he's in eternity now and he knows how big it is. That's why he's the champion. That's why he's looking back and he's good. Guys, I'm telling you, it's big. It's big. Serve it now. Serve, serve, serve it now. Serve it now. Work, put the effort in because you don't know how big it is. It's like standing at the edge. I just had a friend who went to, uh, in fact, Billy went out to the Grand Canyon. It would be like him riding back and said, bring your camera. And then actually Billy told me this. I took pictures. We stopped taking pictures of the Grand Canyon because they, it, the pictures made it look so small and it wasn't capturing. We're only seeing a Kodak moment here of the real thing. So Jesus said, I'm coming back. Don't look busy. Be busy. Because it's going to count when you can. Sir. 
You know, I think that we're going to close today by, um, let me share with you a little of what we spoke about yesterday as leaders of our church. I believe that this message today is not only for individuals, but it's for collective. That means your family together, for our church family together. And seeing what God has done in our life. And I, I'm a firm believer that, and you've heard the saying, not my saying, but I, I'm a firm believer and see what God is doing and go to it. In other words, the reverse of that is I'm going to go somewhere and hope God comes along. Not, not a good plan. I'm going to see what God is doing. From this corner, God has done a remarkable job. He has done a, something miraculous. We had a dream when we, we started this church. Could we have a church that was somewhat deprogrammed where we get down to a relational depth that you don't find in most church cultures? Can we go to a one-to-one disciple-making level, a table for two, and just see what happens? And we have seen so much change happening in our church, and then God took that out to other churches here in our city and other states in our country, now to every state in our country, and at last count, we're in 100 countries uh, in, around the world. That's amazing what God has done. But as leaders, we're always taking, you know, assessment. It's what we're called to do of the landscape. In other words, we don't want to be serving in the city and we're not serving internally here within our church family. We don't want to be serving around the world in Bolivia and, and not be serving our own community. So for the last four to six months, we have been praying for God to show us what is the next step here in our own city. And so when we have looked at our city, we, we see things shifting, in, in, in my mind, a, a positive way. In our city, uh, there, the Hispanic community is growing. And in fact, in Sarasota City, you may be surprised to, to know that there are 17% Hispanic community. That's nearly two in every 10. And we want them to have a place to come. And we want to create an environment where they feel at, at home as a Spanish-speaking person. And so we are going to launch today a, a Hispanic ministry within 360. And we're super thrilled about that. Yes. But here's what we're not, we're not going to call it what it's not. We're not going to say we have an Hispanic service at, at 3 p.m., you know, on Sunday afternoon, and we're multicultural. It doesn't, it really doesn't work that way. Rather, what we are going to do is we're going to just begin to integrate and infuse Hispanic ministry. So, for example, we're going to begin Spanish-speaking connect groups. They will have the same questions, the same themes as we do in our connect groups because we have you know, message-based questions, et cetera. I'm going to translate them, the same theme, et cetera. At our 11 o'clock service, we have the technology already, uh, all ready to work today uh, for, to begin to invite Spanish-speaking people to uh, the 11 o'clock service. They will have wireless headphones that when I've traveled to the Middle East and other places, I sit there and I hear the translation going live, uh, and it just makes you feel like, man, I'm really connected. So we'll begin that. Our, our, at that point, our, our worship songs and everything will be in English, but we'll have translation for the message and the, and the, and the worship. Everything that we have in print will be in, a, uh, be in Spanish as well as English. 
Uh, and not just in fine print, but we're making everything equal. New membership classes offered in Spanish. Uh, baptism classes offered in Spanish. Prayer at the end of the service offered in Spanish. Um, for those uh, children, uh, many children are bilingual because they're in the school system, our, our middle schoolers, our high schoolers. They are welcome into our student and our children's ministry. So we really want an infusion. As we're doing that, we will then begin to grow that 11 o'clock uh, Spanish-speaking community and then uh, to, to where we will start a fourth service at which we can serve. We can serve them. And so they will have, uh, then it will be completely in Spanish, the, the preaching and the worship at, at 1230. And uh, if God calls some of you to say, I'm going to be a missionary there, uh, and we'll begin to, to, to grow this ministry. We're super, 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 did I say super excited? Because we have no business doing it 500 miles from now, uh, from here, if, we, if we're not doing it 50 yards from here. Uh, we had three dreams when we planted this church. God has fulfilled two of them. Number one, can we have a, a disciple making at the core, a one-to-one -one level? Number two, could we have a church that was not in financial debt, never have been in 15 years? And number three, uh, could we have a, uh, a multicultural church uh, in, a, in a city that has not been too multicultural? When I came to Christ, I was a minority as a Caucasian. Uh, it was such a rich environment. That's what I knew as a new believer. And I'm like, it, is such, it was such a rich environment. So to the degree that when I moved to a different city, I couldn't give it up. I was the only Caucasian in my church. And if you've never experienced that, unfortunately, the church is the most one of the most segregated organizations in, our, in, in existence and our culture. And as we're going to stand before the Lamb of God, as we see in the in book of Revelation, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, and we can't wait until we get there to start. We need a leader to do that. So I started taking Spanish. Just kidding. <laughs> <Totally> kidding. <laughs> um, as many of you know, Pastor Julio Machado has been here from Cuba. He came. Uh, he got stuck here, so to speak, because they closed the airports in Cuba. And uh, while he is here, Pastor uh, Julio is going to lead the charge on this, uh, this initiative. Thank you for joining us. And special thanks for those of you who give generously to make this ministry possible. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can also subscribe or share it with your friends. For more information about 360 Church, visit us at the360church.com.